Welcome to the Macrofab Engineering Podcast, a weekly show about all things engineering, DIY projects, manufacturing, industry news, and fixing, well, I didn't really fix it, broken computers. We're your hosts, Electrical Engineers, Parker Dillman. Didn't, didn't fix your computer? No, I didn't fix my computer. So, yeah, as of last week, Parker's computer bit the dust, but it's hobbling along, right? Yeah. And this is episode 369. That was Steven, by the way. <laughs> Oh, yeah. Sorry, I just started talking, didn't I? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm Stephen Craig. You know what? That's the first time that's happened in 369 episodes, so that says something. Okay. What? Yeah. What, your computer breaking? <laughs> no, you just just going off on a tangent in the middle of the intro. And, yeah. Well, there we go. Yeah. Always something. Keep you on your toes, right? Exactly. Um, so we have some news, and... We actually have some expansion of news that we've been talking about for last five episodes or so. Um, we have the uh, an update for the uh, meetup here in Houston. Um, it is officially called May the Fab Be With You. And as you can tell, it's a uh, Star Wars themed meetup on May 4th. Coming up, the, uh, what, that's in two months now? Yep. Yeah. Basically, two months from now. Uh, so if you go to, we'll post this link in our um, in the show notes, but it's macfab.com slash events slash may hyphen the hyphen fab hyphen b hyphen with hyphen you. Very explicit there. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so it's to kind of show off our new factory. Um, we're going to have a contest for the best Star Wars costume. Um, I don't know what I'm going to dress up as yet, but we'll that's okay. I didn't. I hadn't even read the notes, and I was going to ask: Is dressing up appropriate? Not only is it appropriate, it's recommended. Recommended. We'll have a contest for it. Um, we're going to have food and drink. Um, I heard that there's a possible cantina band that we might have, which I thought was <laughs> clarinet like, playing buttheads up there. <laughs> yeah. Well. well it's uh, the music of Star that band plays is called Jizz. Yeah, isn't it? Um, isn't the name of that? Oh no, no, I'm sorry. Uh, I think it. I was messing up the the uh, Star Wars band that plays in Jabba the Hutt's floating uh, RV that he has. <laughs> floating uh, RV. I think, I think it, that band. I think is called Evan Orbo and the Galactic Jizz Whalers. Yes. Uh, I don't remember what the band in in the cantina is called though. Yeah, uh, with Max Rebo. Oh, did I get it wrong? Did I get those flipped? Yeah, again? you got flipped is, around. Max Rebo is the blue elephant. Yeah, guy, blue right? elephant that plays. Uh, the genre is called jizz. Yeah. <laughs> <sighs> uh, give, give me now. I gotta look it up. What is the the Star Wars cantina band? What is their name? Uh, oh my gosh! Okay, <laughs> uh, Figrin Dan and the Modal Nodes. Sure, is, is the name of the Star Wars Cantina van. I love Star Wars lore so much. Star Wars is great. It seems okay. So it seems like oh, tangent here. It seems that Star Wars yeah. lore gets created the opposite of like let's say Warhammer 40k gets created. Oh, how's that? So, like, Star Wars lore, they, like, made episode four, or, like, just A New Hope. It was called Star Wars A New Hope. Uh, or, actually, it was just called Star Wars at the very beginning. Like, right. And it, I don't even think there was originally a plan for it to be three movies, but it was so successful, they're like, let's make three movies out of this thing. Okay? Um, and that's when, like, episode five became a thing, and everyone's like, what the hell does this mean? But whatever um basically the lore of star wars works backwards so they like they throw the dart and then slip a bullseye underneath it okay <laughs> they go back later and fill in all the holes okay whereas like yeah. warhammer 40k is like the exact opposite like though the people who make up that lore just come up with crazy stuff and just put it down. Well, I, I also feel that Star Wars, it seems like a lot of the lore in Star Wars kind of fills out 
horizontally. In other words, yes. it feels like the universe keeps getting bigger, whereas with 40K, the universe keeps getting deeper. deeper. Yes. Like, they, they're not growing outwards. It's just like there's something really messed up about some lore that they talk about, and then someone comes up with another idea that's more messed up about that same <laughs> lore. Yeah, know? yeah. <laughs> yeah, you're right. Star Wars seems to get wider, and then yeah. whenever you start reading more and more about 40K, it or new stuff comes out it just gets deeper right it's a right, weird right. distinction but i think that's would be fair to put out there well i i feel like they put uh, war 40k put um like boundaries in the universe in, in terms of like this is the width of our universe in terms of the lore and everyone seems to be okay with playing in that playground uh but in star wars it seems like they're always trying to push the boundaries of what the playground is oh yeah well they're like they have backstories for like the people who like sell ice cream in star wars <laughs> that's true yeah oh didn't didn't the mandalorian just uh season uh, three right? season three I've, that just uh launched the other day didn't it? yeah i have not watched it yet um Basically, for like TV shows, I just wait till it all comes out, and then I just go and spend basically a weekend watching all of it. Right, you just want to binge the whole. Thing. Like I, yeah, think, okay, so only one episode's out when we're recording yeah, this. Yeah, I, for me, Netflix is. I know a lot of people are against Netflix's model of just like dropping everything at once. That is how I like to consume my media, though. Um, I like to just like same thing with video games. Like I don't really like. It's like it's a very long video game. Like uh, Octopath Two is out now, but I'm like honestly putting it off because like I don't have more than like maybe thirty minutes a day to play a video game. So I'd rather not just sit down for thirty minutes and play it. Um, I'd rather like spend four hours <laughs> in one yeah, go. Yeah, I just enjoy yeah, stuff. I that feel, I feel like I, I binge. I guess. Um, yeah, that's how you did it before the um, before the last Star Wars episode that we did in December. You watched all of I watched Obi Wan and I watched all of uh, Andor. Honestly, in like, in like weekend, four right? days. Okay, yeah, but well, still, it was like still, Friday after work. We played our normal like like we have like a group that we play Friday video games with, um, and then afterwards, I like watched Star Wars until like four in the morning, went to bed, woke up again at like noon and watched more Star Wars until like four o'clock again. And then, yeah. And then like, I had like three episodes left and I finished that up on like Monday after work. <laughs> I, I still haven't seen Obi-Wan yet. I, I may break down and watch it. It's good. Um, I know a lot of people are, don't like it or whatever, but I'm the weirdo that, you know, um, in terms of like, like I think uh, Boba Fett is like one of the best. Like Boba Fett, and then they did Mando season two point five, and then I hated that. And then everyone's like, "That's the best part of Boba Fett." And I'm like, Ugh. "Nah, the best part is the first. The first half of Boba Fett is good." Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, I'll put it this way. And then it goes down. Boba Fett's not without its problems, but I would say. All of Star Wars is has problems with it, except Rogue One. Rogue One's perfect. <laughs> Rogue One is really fantastic. Okay, we should probably talk about some engineering topics. Yeah, right? talk about because this is not the uh, annual Star Wars podcast. Unfortunately, we we could we could probably easily fill another two or three episodes of just talking about oh, Star so Wars so easily. Yeah, no problem. No problem. It's it's it when we do the Star Wars episode, um, it's hard to keep it to like three hours. Yeah, because we could just keep going. Yeah, I mean that's what happened this year is or or last year's episode. It's like I had to just cut us off at at certain points. <laughs> yeah, we yeah we had to stop because eventually you have to sleep, right? <laughs> nah, nah. All right. Okay. So <clears throat> yeah. Let's let's talk about uh, first topic here is um, I, I put down as the the state of electrical engineering jobs, and if if you listen to the last episode, I started off by mentioning that I'm currently looking for a new job, and uh, and so I've been doing a bunch of searching in my uh, in my area for uh, jobs 
specifically electrical engineering. And uh, I thought it'd be fun to talk about some of the commonalities of things that I've been seeing and kind of just look at what does electrical engineering, at least in my area, look like right now. Um, and some interesting uh, things that I've been noticing. So I, I live um, uh, just outside of Denver. And uh, in my area, there's there's a handful of major industries. So that would be medical, aviation, space, uh, communications, and manufacturing are kind of the main ones. And communications and manufacturing are both probably they pale in comparison to the other ones. Like if you if you if you look for tech jobs out here, it's medical, aviation, and space. You're going to see uh, just gobs of that. Um, military is involved in that as well but it's like military is within all, all of those, those medical aviation yeah. space so uh there's just a, a ton of that in fact i live just down the road from lockheed martin um so that that gives an idea of the kind of stuff out here but but yeah so um medical aviation space communications and, and manufacturing if you go type in electrical engineering in a jobs uh, search you're pretty much just guaranteed to see that in fact, it's something that's that's just funny to note as a as a side note. If you go search for electrical engineering in this area, you kind of have to filter out Lockheed Martin because it'll be like fifty percent of the jobs are all Lockheed Martin. Uh, it's yeah, there it's it's unbelievable how many jobs they have available. And if that's your thing, then what's cool is for that one company, you have so many options that you could you could pick from. Um, so, but yeah, so I wanted to t uh, touch a little bit on commonalities that I've just been seeing between jobs of what is asked of an electrical engineer in 2023 uh, or what people are searching for. And just to give a little bit of context, I graduated in 2009. So I've been out of college for 14 years, I guess, in terms of career, if you think of a, 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 an average career being around 35 years, I, I'm a little bit pre-middle career. I guess you could say that I'm right at the beginning of middle career. I'm, You're I'm a third way through. Third of the way through, I'm past beginner, um, but but maybe not, you know, principal level engineer kind of thing. And, and so so I, I, I want to do a quick tangent and put you on the spot for a second, Parker. I got a question for you here. Yeah. You went to University of Texas. It, if you were to think of one thing that you thought your degree was lacking or your education was lacking that you wish you could have had through college, what might that be? I wish I took more robotics. Well, okay. So like I, motion I control. Out of do you wish they required you uh, have that or do you wish you just did it yourself? I So when i when we went to college because you graduated a year before me or something like that um the that was that, that was like the 08 economic downturn and i don't know about a and m but at ut a lot of the extra class kind of stuff um were basically canceled and they basically just got rid of them for a while um because they just didn't have the money um to run those programs and one of those was like, there was a really cool antenna lab and a really cool robotics lab. I really wish I was able to take at least one of those. And the funny thing is like, I graduated and the year after they brought those back. So basically for like the, you know, five-ish years I was at, at UT, they just didn't have them. Um, yeah, I just didn't have the opportunity because I just, they didn't offer them. So I wish I was able to take robotics more. Instead of having to basically self-learn that. I, I, I think I think I would agree with you um, with with my experience at at A&M. There were some classes that were just not available and and it, it ended up being that those were the ones I wanted. And, yeah. and some of them were not available because they just didn't have a professor. Some of them they had cut deals with a professor where they would only teach every other semester that class that I want, like things, things of that sort. I know a and had a deal, at least when I was there, where a professor could do one semester 
research and not teach and then the other semester they had to do like a heavy teaching load mm-hmm. and a lot of the professors would do that and it ended up i get why they did that and it would attract talent and things like that but it ended up screwing some students if you if that was your off year and it was your senior year then you couldn't take yeah that class you wanted uh, i i think i think with my experience i wish either a&m offered or i had chosen classes that were a little bit more directed and focused at design as opposed to uh theory like yeah it's just, i don't know if there's any ee degree college that offers that though true but i think that they're well i know a&m had some classes that were like that uh, yeah i mean there was were a little bit more intensive there was one class point. that we did do one of my like later embedded systems classes it's like 319l if i recall um that one we actually did board design in we actually laid out yeah. and did a schematic laid the board out and actually we had it built didn't work but we built it <laughs> a and had very little classes where they would that one of the things you would do in the class is be presented with schematics and have to analyze it or have to do something with it i know i took one of those classes and it was phenomenal it was fantastic um i would take it again in a heartbeat but um there were few of those and and at the same time there was also you know a m didn't have as many classes that were you know here's a microcomputer like program it have it do a thing there was but there was plenty of classes of like here's communication here's you know, here's digital signal processing and, and everything is just theoretical. Uh, I, I really wish I had figured out how to wrangle my degree more towards, okay, yeah, you have to understand those things, but you also have to do them, you mm-hmm. know? Uh, um, and, I'm sorry, though. Uh, yeah. Oh, no, 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 you keep going. You keep going. Sorry. Sorry. Well, and, and the whole point of why I even asked that question where I'm bringing this up is in talking about the job descriptions that i'm seeing if you're earlier on in your career or if you're listening and you're a college student maybe you can you know listen to what these things i'm seeing now in my career and maybe that helps you pick your classes or maybe that helps you start studying towards things or or secondarily maybe that even says it tells you like oh i don't want to do this so don't even try for it, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know, I know. You know, when I was in college, I was entirely ignorant of what was going to be asked of me. Fourteen years, and who could be, who could know that? But, but uh, at least you know, hear what's being asked of for mid-level engineers now, and maybe you can start directing your career towards one of these things. So, and that's why I asked you because I was just curious what your thoughts were on that Parker because you work as a professional engineer you hire engineers you work in design you work in manufacturing so what is something that you felt was lacking that could still be useful to you today if you had taken that yeah it would be robotics for sure um what I was bringing up is I was looking up uh so 319k is actually introduction to embedded systems at the EE college at UT it's uh 445l which is the design lab, which is where we you do PCB layout, basically. And Dr. Okay. Valvano is uh, still teaching that. Oh, that's cool. Um, or, and running it. So if you are going to University of Texas at Austin, I know this is like super specific because it's like maybe one person out there that listens to the podcast that might apply to. Um, go take Dr. Valvano's classes because like he is super passionate about electrical engineering um and just a great teacher overall i wish i could keep taking his classes i'll put it that way so i have no idea what texas a&m's electrical department is like nowadays i'm sure it's vastly different than when i was there but one one thing i find interesting is as i'm going through these job descriptions and and readings through these things even the ones that say like looking for entry level engineers i'm like i'm reading through this and i'm like my education at a m would not be valid for this uh a m had i feel like they they were really interested in cranking out field engineers 
than design engineers. So, so what I mean, like, and it's kind of funny because it's very oil and gas adjacent. Like if you needed an engineer to drive out to the middle of nowhere to go gather data on some kind of seismic computer that's hitting the earth in the middle of nowhere, A&M it would make would have made awesome engineers for that. You know, like basically like it's it's kind of goofy, but the good old boy mentality, like the guy who, you know, gets gets his hands dirty at uh, on the oil rig. A&M was great at cranking out those guys. But you know, it wasn't cranking out guys who were going to go design cell phones. Um, and, and I find that to be a little bit of a disappointment, especially with the state of what I'm seeing, because when I do, when I'm doing my job searches here, I'm just putting electrical engineering jobs, not specific type. I'm just seeing what the landscape looks like. And of course I live in a tech city, um, and it's localized uh, these these industries are, are specific to my area, but I'm looking through this and I'm like this these jobs are not what A and M was preparing me for. Um, the, perhaps UT was a bit better at that, and I'm sure there's other schools that are even more you know far less of the field engineer kind of side and more towards the the design engineer. But but uh, you know just keep in mind that like this the tech stuff here your school might not be preparing you for it. So it might be worth you as a student trying to figure out how do I guide my education towards these things if like tech design is what you're really going for. I think, well, at least at UT, the ECE program was super flexible. Like basically you got to pick like two tracks you got to pick. Like basically like your, your fourth semester you basically had to pick two tracks. This is at least, I don't know if it's changed now or whatever, but, um, and there was like 20 tracks and you had to pick two. <laughs> um, and so I, I did digital signal processing and embedded systems. Um, and I already had like some knowledge of field work cause I was a petroleum engineer actually for or studying to become a petroleum engineer for my first year and a half at, at at University of Texas. Um, and actually, my first job was a field engineer. So, um, right, right. Yeah, yeah. I, I, but I mean, that's uh, oil and gas town kind of stuff, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, that was like coming out of college, like, what is the first job you get? You get whoever says yes first is what you mm -hmm. go do. Yeah. Um, well, especially at that time. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know about, if, uh, I, I guess I never really worried about if it was prepping me for a job or whatever, because I didn't really know what kind of industry I wanted to go into. I started a field engineer, then did design work, and then started a manufacturing company. <laughs> and, and yeah, okay. So I've done let, like let me, all three also, technically, right? Let me rewind a second and just say, you know, school isn't everything when it comes to prep. Um, oh, for sure. It's, yeah. It's, just getting an electrical engineering degree or an engineering degree in whatever your discipline is, is is a very good thing. And I'm not saying that A&M, you came out stupid in these certain ways. I'm just saying, um, the, you know, with, with the kind of stuff I'm seeing in a tech town that's being asked of, even of the entry-level positions, I feel like there were things that I could have studied harder or further to be prepared for a job of that magnitude. Okay. Yeah, but I mean, you were you were not interested in those topics when you were studying it. So that's you could have taken those topics, but you didn't. Cuz you didn't want to be that kind could, of engineer. Could have sort of, only sort of could have. So so if I remember right, there were there was a track system at A&M as well, but it was only five tracks, I believe, and you had to pick one, and they were big broad things like power and that was more like power delivery v mm -hmm. via power lines. Communications was one. Um, then there was analog electronics, but none of the classes were available, so no one could even go into that. Uh, and then there was semiconductor physics, which is what I did. And I think there was one more. But but it, you, you see what's kind of missing from that? Like nothing. There was no programming. There was no microcontrollers. There was not a lot of design in that. Hmm. There was a lot of like field engineer stuff in that or, you know, semiconductor physics, which for me, I, I took that because I, I was really interested in it and and 
not because I wanted my career to go that way. So yes, you you I, I went. I see what you're saying. I, I, yeah. I studied things that weren't applicable mainly because I thought it was really cool, but a lot of these things were not available. Gotcha, uh, gotcha. So I, but that was 2009. Things could be very different. Regardless, uh, let, so, so let's just look at the commonalities of what I'm seeing. So if you type in electrical engineering, almost everything is design out here. Uh, there's there's a, a, you know, a few things like there's some satellite companies that do internet and, and things or, or television and things like that. And they, they, there's, and they need engineers for doing service on whatever around town. Uh, but those are, those are fairly rare. There's a lot of design out here, a lot of satellite design, a lot of space design, a lot of, um, aviation design, medical devices, tons of that. So, uh, there's actually a whole bunch of hardware. So if you're into the actual circuitry, Denver is a really fantastic place to be tons of hardware design and tied along with that uh firmware is also uh asked of so lots of of programming which that doesn't come as a surprise uh but in a lot of the situations i noticed they don't split those apart the engineer is responsible for both so that's something to keep in mind um there's plenty of software engineering positions out here but for a lot of the electrical engineering uh, jobs they expect you to be able to spin everything from nothing all the way to code to final product. Um, there's a ton of board design stuff. So if you really like getting dirty, you know, if you want to go schematic to board to, to firmware to product, um, there is a ton of that out here as well. Now, the other thing, and, and I'll pause on this one for, for a second, there's a ton of a ton of the jobs require above and beyond all of that, that you have CAD, CAM, and mechanical experience as well. And this is this is going all the way to entry-level position stuff. So I feel like when I first left college, this was perhaps a little bit less asked of, but um, I think it's a little bit more pro prolific now that You're more, electrical engineer is more multidiscipline. Multidiscipline, in fact, well, okay, so CAD and CAM, almost every place I see is saying that you need to be able to create drawings, you need to be able to handle mechanical in addition to all the electrical stuff. Now, I, I think if there's a job that is specifically mechanical uh, design, they're not going to ask for electricals. Mm -hmm. However, I did see one, um, what is it? Um, uh, sorry. One example of that where the position was 100% mechanical. There wasn't a lick of electrical in it. And at the bottom, they say, uh, looking for mechanical or electrical engineers to do this job. And uh, that one, I believe they were actually, uh, if I remember right, they were, you were designing the uh, tips to warheads, like the actual like conical tips. Yeah. <laughs> to them. Yeah. And, and they were totally fine with electrical engineers. And so, uh, I, I think the, the part that I want to pause on with that, it has been my experience that electrical engineers are regularly asked to do things that have nothing to do with electrical engineering and nothing to do with what you think electrical engineering is. And, and, and frankly, I think a, a bit of this is the fact that um, software has become so prolific and really easy to utilize that you don't necessarily need specific engineers to do specific roles anymore. You can get this more generic kind of engineer to do whatever. So that is a really big point that I want to want to point out. Like if you're studying electrical engineering or you're early on in your electrical engineering career, perhaps consider, Hey, you know, I'm, there's a very high likelihood I'm going to be asked to, to do mechanical stuff. So, you know, brush up on doing your drawings and, brush up on uh you know being able to read someone else's drawings and do the mechanical. I, I would recommend this is building off that i would recommend taking like statics mm -hmm. um because mm -hmm. that that's uh physics for things that don't move but then they might move <laughs> St yeah. i like that um uh, uh statics is good pre-dynamics pre yeah pre-dynamics pre um because in that class you end up basically looking at a lot of state diagrams, which are mechanical diagrams, basically. Um, and so you get to learn that kind of stuff uh, and you will become a better 
basically designer of, of mechanical stuff. You won't be as good as a mechanical engineer, but that's a good way to learn. Um, start uh, doing your own designs for mechanical enclosures for like your projects. Like do that in AutoCAD because uh, Fusion Fusion comes with with Eagle or does Fusion come with Eagle or is it Eagle, Eagle come with, with Fusion? Fusion? Either or, yeah. right? It doesn't matter. Which comes first? Yeah, which one comes first? <laughs> and I bet you uh, your your university probably has a program with Autodesk, so you can get a big discount. Or I think it's actually still free for students. Um, don't quote me on that one, though. Um, but yeah, uh, that's a good way to learn the mechanical side is just do your enclosures, right? Um, the uh and just draw just draw stuff in autodesk like or infusion just just do it even if you might not even build it just you know start learning that that software um yeah i i have yet to find a job that doesn't seem to mention that you're going to be doing mechanical stuff in addition to electrical stuff so it is very normal for an employer to ask that so i i think that's I think that's just the the norm going forward. And, and in fact, I've, I've seen that so much with electrical engineers where you might be working on 100% mechanical projects. In fact, the very first project that was entirely mine out of college, it the only only one aspect of it was electrical. I was trying to make an insulator. So I had to make a fully mechanical product that insulated another thing from electrical interference. And so they gave that they gave that project to me so I could, you know, m mechanically yeah. make the whole thing. But also I had the chops to be able to test it to make sure that it was functioning electrically. Yeah. But very first project was that. So, yeah, yeah, that's really funny. My first uh, actual electrical engineering project um, that was a design was my second job. And I was an embedded systems designer um uh, to like doing like firmware and stuff and this is i was working for dynamic perception with chris church who's the, also the other uh founder co-founder of macrofab and he's like build me a motor controller without firmware or a microcontroller <laughs> and i'm like nah! <laughs> <laughs> made a little op amp oscillator do my yeah, little square yeah. wave so they work yeah it worked um so that was also the thing is i think at this point you have to learn code um and that's just oh absolutely you have to uh i would say learn like c for embedded system uh because if you learn c you can basically program any microcontroller out there do that you don't have to be good at it you just have to do it and then python is what i would highly recommend for a high level language um for scripting like being able to do um, and like you, you will have classes that will probably deal with MATLAB. You will only do MATLAB in college. Like the moment you leave, leave university land, it's not going to be MATLAB. It's going to be Python. C and Python are way more important than those. Um, yeah. I think I have, I'll, I'll temper that Parker by saying, I think I seen one job that mentioned MATLAB, but. I, my guess is that w it's not like your day-to-day -day would be using MATLAB. Yeah. That might be a rarity or something. Uh, and in fact, I could I could see MATLAB being something where you utilize that to produce plots to put on a presentation to show to somebody, right? You know, yeah. something of that sort. But yeah, it's, uh, and, and actually, I would say at an absolute bare minimum, be able to read code. You know, even if you're not able to produce it perfectly, be able to pull up someone else's code and see what it's doing. That is an absolute must. Mm -hmm. But but yeah, I agree. Be able to code in both C and Python um, is is pretty much a must. I, I don't uh, in in these jobs I'm seeing. I haven't seen much Python at all. I've seen lots of C. Mm -hmm. Well, you uh, you were talking okay, about so, firmware, and that's going to be oh right C land. Yeah. Um, and you can even go even further and and with Python and do circuit Python or micro Python on a microcontroller. Um, I'm still starting to dabble in that on like the Raspberry Pi, 
you know, the RP2040. Um, highly would recommend. That's what I, I, I see all the time, so... So, so one other thing I put down in the commonalities list was um, regulations. And it's not that there's common regulations. It's just that so many jobs, specifically in these industries, have regulations that they want you to be aware of or have experience in. And that can range anywhere from ISO, which is, you know, n not necessarily specific to an industry, all the way to like, here's this random multi-letter, multi-number thing that references how you need to design a medical device, you know? Yeah. So, um, yeah, that's just a commonality I'm seeing. There's almost everything out here requires regulations. So that's not something you're going to pick up in school. That's something that you would get on, on the job. Yeah. I would say if it's an introductory job, it's like it's a true to honest, like, you know, fresh engineer job, and it has regulations in it, probably don't require you to be certified in those. But you should Google them and read up what those are because they will ask you that in the interview. And then you can at least answer what that is and be like, I've never done that before, but at least I know what it is. Well, and, and, Okay, so what Parker's saying right there, that's like super secret weapon for for uh, interviewing right there. Is, Research. is researching, yeah. researching that. If they don't ask you about those regulations in the interview, ask them about that. Yeah. Oh, about yeah, those, totally. And, and they'll love that. They'll, yeah. they'll love ask them like, doing I, like, go through the recipe, like, go through the application. If you have stuff that's missing from the interview, just, like, go over and, like, hey, what's this thing that was on the, app? not the application, the job posting mm -hmm. yeah um, yeah and any okay if you if you pull up a job posting and you don't understand something that's on that job posting it's up to you to research what that thing is uh and you probably should it's because there's a likelihood you'll be asked about it there's a reason it's on the job posting yeah right? so go and do that yeah. <clears throat> okay so so the the next kind of category i put is most of the jobs have something to do with this and and um there's a there's a few items i have on here the first one is this is totally a denver thing but uh there's so many jobs out here that require that you get secret clearance and uh so th there's some jobs that I, I frankly i don't know what uh, like all the like, hierarchies da, da, of clearance da, da. well that's top secret ah and so secret clearance is one and then top secret is is one above that or not one but it's some level above that i don't know the hierarchy of them but almost all the jobs out here at like at lockheed and stuff like that require you to get secret clearance and uh I, what i've been explained to in the past most of the time that's really really boring it, it, it's not like some like big thing that you have to take classes on or anything they just make sure you know everything's clean with your past and everything and most of the time the stuff you learn is like oh this is the radio frequency for our product and that's the clearance you need to know the number that is the radio frequency so uh, but re regardless a lot of jobs out here require that and for whatever reason if you're not able to get that you you flat out can't do the job um the other thing well these other two um I've seen in a, a large portion of jobs, but not all of them, they, there's repair and then manufacturing processes. So repair being a lot of these jobs are, are saying board level repair. You need to get dirty. You need mm -hmm. to get into it. You need to get a microscope and make the thing work. Um, a lot of these jobs are above and beyond doing all the design stuff. You're doing RMAs and you're, you're fixing stuff. And that's of. one thing um, you will not learn in college like at all i've never seen a soldering 101 in college before if, if someone out as out there has that in their ee program let me know i'd love to know awesome. what college has that as a as a uh class you can take as an electrical engineer because that's more of a technician right that's a that's a mm -hmm. uh, a technician college or a technical college kind of setup um and that was stuff that I just picked up myself. It's the same thing with Steven. Yep. We just kind of picked it up and built our own boards. 
So, but but you know what? Like, yeah, sure, we picked it up. We picked it up because we kind of had to. Had to. But now, yeah. but I mean, I'm seeing lots of jobs that are saying you have to have that. Uh, so yeah, I don't know. Uh, for, the, the nice thing about repair is at this point, I don't want to make it sound like it's easy, but it, but it, that's something I feel like I have under the belt. Like if someone puts a board in front of me, is like, can you repair this? There's a high likelihood I can. Mm-hmm. Um, I've just done it enough, you know. I mean, before Macrofab, you ran a repair business for right. audio right. stuff or audio equipment, right? Uh, and and repairs one of the repairs one of the fun ones because repair encompasses so <laughs> well. But no, <laughs> I'm saying this because one of the things that's cool about repair is is they put this thing in front of you and they say it needs to work. Mm-hmm. There's so many things you have to do in order oh, to yeah. get it to work. And, and all the way down to you have to go and get the documentation. You have to decode the documentation. You have to understand figure out, it. You have to understand this is the way it, it should work. This is the way the thing they've given me is working. You have to decode how to get the non-working yeah. thing to the working state. There's there's a lot of skills involved in repair. And then on top of that, once you've figured everything out and you actually fix it, you have to fix it in a good way that will last. That will last so, the life of the product. Right. It's it's not the easiest thing. It's funny because we, we relegate repair to a technician job. It's, oh, no. It's, it's high-skilled it's technician, high you know? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, no, uh, I think repair work is a uh, at least the initial like figuring out what's wrong, and and getting the what well, I would say like the first. Let's say you have a batch of boards, right, and they all mm-hmm. exhibit the same problem. Is figuring out that repair process. That's a that's a highly skilled engineer's job right there. Absolutely, yeah, absolutely. Like at Macrofab, um, we have engineers do that, and then once that is figured out. That engineer basically builds instructions to do that repair work, right? And then right, sends right. that to a technician because the technicians are they solder every single day and do the you know component swapping. They are much better at it than an engineer could ever be at actually soldering, right? Um, right, right. Like the physical execution, yeah, physical execution. Like Steve and I used to do all the repair work and, <laughs> and a lot of soldering at Macrofab, and we finally yeah. got to the point where we were not the best people at that anymore, which was awesome. <laughs> yeah, because it's a lot of work. It's a lot of work. So then, yeah, the, the the other item in that list was manufacturing practices. A lot of places, you know, you, sure, you got to build the board, but you also have to be the guy who communicates and gets the board made. So mm-hmm. uh, the manufacturing process uh, processes and practices that go into that, both electrical and mechanical. So... You got to be able to basically do both fields. Yeah, at the same time. Uh, at the same time. So then, uh, the, this last little section is some of the more specified knowledge that I'm seeing a lot of in in these uh, in the tech jobs that are out here. First of all, there's high speed electronics. So there's a lot of places that are asking that you be able to do really high speed PCB design and things like, like that, like impedance matching and that kind of stuff. If you're yeah, fresh out of college yeah. and, and you're like, and they go high speed electronic design and you, and you say, oh, you mean like impedance matching? You probably will get the job. <laughs> yeah. yeah, true. Uh, there's, a, there's a lot of RF stuff out here. So yeah. um, RF, RF is voodoo, in my opinion, because it's one of those things where it, you, you learn it. There's, there's a lot of, there's places to learn it. But like once you kind of get in that pocket, you sort of become a specialist in a way. Or, um, is it like at a job, this is this is our RF person, mm-hmm. you know, um, that that knows that specifically. RF isn't something that you just kind of. I, f- I feel like you don't stumble upon RF. You you kind of like know you go that way and you focus on it mm-hmm. just because it is that that specialized. But there there is a decent amount of that. And then here's here's one chunk of knowledge that frankly I'm going to study up on for for these jobs. I've seen so many job uh, requirements call out communication protocols, a, a variety of communication protocols. Mm-hmm. So mostly uh, a lot of board level stuff. So, you know, the, they'll call out, you know, be familiar with SPI and I, I2C and stuff like that. But Almost every single one is like, make sure you know Ethernet. Hmm. 
protocol and uh, being able to implement that. The so, physical layer or the board layer? Yeah, yeah, and uh, just a variety, you know, have experience with okay. these protocols is usually what they say, something something of that sort. So that's kind of that's kind of like a broad overview of what I've been seeing, but I thought it was interesting to kind of chat about overall like if you just look for an electrical engineering job what what in general are you going to see and i'm just this mm-hmm. is what i'm i'm seeing across the board there's there's a variety of other jobs that i've seen sprinkled in like the one that was talking you know they it, it was labeled as electrical engineering but you're designing mechanical warheads mm-hmm. uh, and things like like that's an oddball that's that, yeah. that's one that doesn't fit in there and then there were some that were you know pretty specific uh, a handful in there are talking about like uh plc programming and and things of that sort but but frankly it's interesting if you compare houston and here houston it has 10 trillion plc programming yeah. jobs because there's there's a so much oil field automation out there and 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 things there's a lot less of that up here um so yeah location that matters. is the state of electrical engineering jobs yeah, yeah location matters a lot on those it does yeah there's there's so little oil and gas up here um it does exist but but in terms of the jobs mm-hmm. you just don't see it Well, Stephen, do you have any like tentacles out there of like jobs that you're applying to? Or are you going to kind of keep that close to your chest until? Well, so keep it close to the chest, sure. Just in general, as people normally do. But um, I'm I'm super. I'm at a point in my career where I'm super open to doing new things mm-hmm. or different things than I've done before. So right now I'm casting a really wide net just to see what's out there. I mean, that's why I mentioned last week, if anyone had any um, suggestions to email me. In fact, if anyone has any more uh, suggestions, I'm I'm in the process of talking with people right now. Um, send me an email, uh, Stephen, that's S-T-E-P-H-E-N dot L dot K-R aig at gmail.com steven.l.craig at gmail.com if you know of any jobs or anything um hit me up we'll we'll you know i'm 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 juggling a lot of options right now i have i have a list of places that i'm applying to and it's fairly long just because i'm just casting a wide net and having fun with it you know yeah uh there is there is one thing though to to note i'm i'm not particularly interested in relocating right now so if you if you know of a job that's in a different location you know if it's remote i'll entertain that idea i just i don't really feel like moving right now i don't want to moving sounds terrible at this time so yeah that was the state of electrical engineering in denver in denver right (laughs) right um so follow up from last oh oh steven i hope the job search goes really well oh thank you yeah i'm sure it will um, so follow up from last week, uh, we didn't do a video stream. Um, so what happened if you missed last week's episode that got released, um, my computer decided to just completely die. Um, it wouldn't boot or anything like that. Basically you couldn't see any of the drives on the computer. So you couldn't see the Blu-ray player. You couldn't see the hard drives, anything that way. Uh, so we recorded it on my laptop that went fine. Um, but basically what happened, what I could figure out is, uh, the SATA bus, is it SATA or SATA? I've always called it SATA. SATA? The S-A-T-A, because it actually stands for something. It's like serial ATA, and ATA stands for something. Uh, let's, I'm, I'm looking up how to pronounce it. ATA, SATA, I think that's how SATA. people pronounce it. So, so yeah, that that whole controller on my motherboard just bit the dust, um, and then honestly, like a couple hours after the podcast, I decided to mess with the computer again, and it the the bus came back up, and I we are recording this podcast on that computer, um, on the SATA bus, right? On that SATA bus, and like the computer is like half puked out all over the floor because I once it started working, I didn't touch it. I didn't put it back together. 
So it's like half disassembled on my floor here. Uh, it wor it's working. Now, it, I, I'm not expecting it to work for long. Like, it's clearly something is wrong with this computer. Um, so I'm going to build a new computer. Don't know exactly what I'm going to build yet, uh, but I did order a case. <laughs> I ordered a, uh, a Sliger CX42, is that 4200? Yeah, 4200i. Um, which is a 4U rack mount uh, enclosure. Um, so it's like a server computer. Um, it looks beefy. Yeah. I, 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 th this company has got uh, really good reviews. They're made in America. All that good stuff. Um, and I'm just going to build a new computer rack for it too. Um, and I want to TIG weld it. So I'm going to get like some one inch box tubing and make a rack out of it because my current one is like the old plywood one i built when we started macrofab so honestly it works fine i just want to build a new one because i kind of want to build one where because the problem with the rack mount is like you have to pull it out the computer out of the rack to work on it which mm. kind of silly like one well, just go to well the they, they, they put them on drawers don't they yeah but the, the the drawer ones the racks are mounted to like the floor so they can't tip over when you pull it out. Right. Well, right, these, right. this is a little shorty rack. You know, it's only like three feet tall. So you pull it out and the whole thing tips over. <laughs> so what I was going to do is make a, rack, a little portable rack that the lid can pop off. So I can just unscrew the lid and then I have access to the top of the computer. And now everyone's probably like, why don't you just get like a normal desktop? Because reasons. <laughs> That's Why aren't you just normal, Parker? Yeah, reasons. I don't because know. reasons. Yeah. I don't know. I kind of like rack mount 19-inch server stuff. So, I, I, I did a rack mount computer right after college and really enjoyed it. Yeah, I like it a lot. I think it's easier to work in and build the computer. Yeah, well. As opposed to stand-up cases. That's true. I do, I do think it's easier to build. Um, yeah. It's easier to modify, too. Once you get yep. it out of the rack, but that's what I was going to solve. Basically, I'm just going to make the the lid of the rack can can unscrew, and then I can just slide the top panel off the rack, and boom, done. I can just get access to it. So I'll let everyone know when I get that case in and start building the computer. I'm sure people will have lots of opinions on what to build hardware wise. That was cool. the MacFab Engineering Podcast. Man, I am starving. I am hungry. I'm gonna cook. Well, you got something. No, go eat. Oh. We were your host, Stephen Craig. And Parker Dolman. Take it easy. Thank you, Yes You Are Listener, for downloading our podcast. If you have a cool idea, project, or topic, let Stephen and I know. Tweet us at MacFab, at Longhorn Engineer, or at Analog ENG, or email us at podcast at macfab.com. Also, check out our Slack channel. You can find it at macfab.com slash slack.